Bokartov, I'm going to try and summarize as much of Kitetse. Uh, I mean, we're not going to, we're going to do the whole thing because last year we didn't finish. We're not, we're not, we're not finishing it today. Well, we're, we're going to remain behind. My hope is that when we get to the shorter parashiot, we catch back up. So sorry to all the people who've been complaining about my tardiness, but... Yeah, a little bit busy these days. Okay, chapter 23 in Parashat Ki Okay, uh, A man cannot marry the wife of his father. Meaning even, obviously, it's not referring to his mother, it's referring to his father's wife that's not his mother. Why is this, uh, what's the idea behind this law? So according to the Hertz Chumash, very interesting, the children used to inherit the wives of their father. Yeah, the, the, in the heathen, uh, in the, yeah, in the, in the Avodah Zarah societies, here, I'll leave it here. This law is aimed at the ancient heathen custom of inheriting women in the same way as possessions. Uh, and, and by the way, we know, I said this in last year's shiur, but we know that if a son wanted to assert his dominance in the family, we'll take the wife of the father. how do you do it? You take the wives of the father. Who did it? Did Two people did it in, in Tanakh that we know. Anybody? One is in Chumash, one is in Nevi'im. Reuven took, took Bilha. Bilha. Why was Reuven taking Bilha? People don't know. Why would he, why would he be with Bilha? First, uh, because Reuven was upset about not being the firstborn anymore. Okay, and what about Avshalom? Uh, and then what about the next second one? It's Avshalom, the son of David. When he was rebelling against David, he, he was guy. with the concubines of David. And that was a sign of asserting his kingship. That's why Avshalom did that. Okay? So that is obviously Asur. Next. A man that is, uh, is crushed or maimed in his privy parts, in his private parts, cannot enter into the assembly of God. Now this is an interesting one. A person who, who is damaged in his, uh, in his private parts cannot marry into the Jewish community. What is this referring to? So it's actually an interesting thing. Why would that be Asur? So first of all, if it's due to a health defect, that's not what it's talking about. The idea here is talking about when they would do it to themselves. When a person does self-mutilation, they're not allowed to marry Jewish. So from there, it becomes forbidden for a person to do self-mutilation because then they're not going to be allowed into the community. Yeah, they said, it's something interesting here also. Um... The first to be excluded are the self-mutilated or unsexed in the service of some heathen cult. Apparently he's saying that also they would use, they would do this sometimes for their Abu Dazara. You know, they had amazing things they used to do. I mean, like very interesting things they used to do for Abu Dazara. So apparently this was one of them. They would maim themselves just... Yeah, they would afflict themselves for the Abu Dazara. So apparently it was a common thing and the Torah is saying it is Asur. Next. You cannot have a, uh, uh, I wouldn't call it a bastard child, but, but that is how they translate it. Uh, what is a mamzer? A mamzer is not allowed to marry Jewish. And even his 10th generation cannot marry Jewish. What is a mamzer? Exactly. 
for, from, not from a forbidden relationship. That's the mistake. Uh, and, and outside of marriage is also a forbidden relationship. But it's not, if the person is outside of marriage, it's not, the child is not a mamzer. Right? If a person is with a woman that he's not married to, that doesn't make the child a mamzer. Only when it's a forbidden relationship that would have been punishable by, by karet or death penalty. Eshetish or one of the ancestral relationships. Those create mamzer. Now, why is this important? Because halakhically, how do they, how do the Chachamim Masir Ibn Chaim finds the mamzer? Now, today, the rule is, uh, technically, mamzer is not allowed to marry Jewish. But the Chachamim today, they have rahmanut, they have like a mercy on the mamzer. And if they find that, that, they, that a person may technically be a mamzer, they'll find a way out for the person. They'll, they'll, they'll be a halakhic loophole. What is typically the halakhic loophole they find? The most typical halakhic loophole? So they know that the mother was married to someone and was with somebody else, right? And that creates automatically, that makes the child a mamzer. Because when that mother is married, then, and, and she's with another man, then that's mamzer, okay? But how do they get the child out of the mamzerut? They would nullify or they would find a way to determine that the first marriage did not count. So, for example. No, not, not even the ketubah. Uh, they would find, let's say, they would find in the ketubah, they would find that they would look at who the witnesses were and they would see that the witnesses were relatives. Their, their witnesses were relatives. Or they would see that the rabbi who did the thing was a conservative rabbi or something. And I think according to Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, that, that automatically nullifies the, the one. So, so how does that help? How does it help if the, the first marriage of the woman is nullified? Because she was never a married woman. You say that her first marriage to the first original man is nullified, that means the woman was not a married woman. So when she was with the second man... She was just an unmarried woman. And that's how you get the child out of his status of being a bastard. Meaning you, you try to make it a case in which they just were together in an unmarried way and not something worse. Okay? Which is all, all of them trying to explain because in, in American, uh, at least not anymore, they don't really use the word as much. But whenever I was growing up, the word bastard child referred to someone born out of wedlock. Okay? But, and that's, how they, that's the way they translate mamzer, but it's not an exact translation. Out of wedlock has no halakhic uh, problem in, in Yahadut. What, a question? What I'm saying is we have, we have mercy on the community. We don't have mercy necessarily on him. Is we just want to make sure that we're not going to have that uh, thing that all oh, infiltrated and everything is possible. Um, I mean, it's mercy on the community. It's, it's, yes, also, it's, mer- it's mercy on the child. It's mercy on the child because it's... Yeah, the child is not really at fault. So, okay, next. And Ammonite or Moabite cannot come into the, the... They can never join Am Yisrael. Somebody who is descendant of Ammon and Moab. Why? Because the Torah says, Because they did not support you with water and bread when you were coming out of Egypt. And instead, what did they do? And instead, they hired Bilam to try to curse you. And God did not listen to Bilam. And God took the curse and he made it into a blessing because he loves you. 
Do not seek out their well-being and their goodness all the days forever. Okay, what's the problem with Ammon and Moab? That they did not, instead of helping us when we came out of Egypt, they hired Bilam to try to curse us. Now why do we expect so much of them? Because who are Ammon and Moab from? They are descendants of Lot, from the daughters, from his own daughters. Remember, do you remember the story from Bereshit? When Lot, after the destruction of Sodom, Lot, everybody was, uh, they, got, they made him drunk and they each had one child. The first had, uh, the first had Moab, the second one had Ammon. Okay? So, that is, uh, so that's the backstory of Ammon and Moab. They're not allowed into the assembly. There's a nice Devar Torah that because Lot was benefited so much from Abraham, the, the future generations were expected to treat Am Israel a little bit better. And they did not. So we, we treat them a lot more. Uh, we're a lot more we're, we're, now, now what happens if today a person finds someone who is descendant of Ammon and Moab and a convert who is descendant of Ammon and Moab? Because he passed the 10 generations, you can marry. Well, no. If, uh, let's say the, the 10 generations after they're married. Oh. How do you do this? This is not 10 generations. It says forever they cannot come in. No, so none of these laws apply anymore ever since the, the destruction of Am Israel by the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire in, uh, what, 800 BCE around, they, they came and they, they destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. They exiled the, the morning, the morning, they destroyed the northern empire of Israel, they exiled the ten tribes, and the policy of the Assyrian Empire was to mix all of the peoples and to remove them from their homelands. And ever since the Assyrian Empire in the 8th century BCE did this, all of the halakhot that pertain to a, person's, a person from Mitzrayim, you can't marry into them, a person that's from Amon Moab, you can't marry them, all of those don't apply anymore. Wow. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a halakhic rule. So none of these laws actually have an application today. It's just interesting to know, learn them for, to understand. Uh, the history, Do not hate the Edomite, for he is your brother. Who is Edom? Who are the descendants of? Esav. Okay. And And do not hate the Egyptian, for you were a, a you were no, you were a a guest in their land. You were a a, a, a proselyte in their land. The third generation, they're allowed to come in. Okay. Uh, what's the obvious question here? Do not hate the Egyptian because you were a proselyte in their land. We weren't proselytes, we were slaves. So isn't that more reason? If Ammon and Moab, they didn't come out and give us water, we're saying forever they cannot come into the assembly. Mitzrayim, that they enslaved us, we say... You could, you do, do not hate them. What's the idea? So there are two, I, I read a fascinating essay. I think it's a brilliant essay in Rabbi Sachs. There are two ideas. One I, I read in the Hertz Humash is that who was the one who enslaved Am Israel? Paro. Paro and his royal court. That doesn't mean that every single Mitzri was against Am Israel. How do we know? Because when Am Israel left, they go to their friends and they all offer them gold and silver and this and that. So, Paro wasn't necessarily, he was a, a dictator, he was a, a tyrant, which means that his control 
was not only on Am Israel, he was also on the Egyptian people. It's not like everybody, everybody loved Paro. It's not like all the Egyptians loved Paro. So, so the way Hertz is explaining it is not, it's not like every single Mitzri who was our neighbor was uh, enslaving us. It was Paro and his court that was enslaving us. And there may have been some Mitzrim who were with us and brothers in uh, our bondage. It's a very interesting idea. You never even realize that. You think all the Mitzrim are together in this thing. But Paro being a tyrant probably had his own enemies in his own country. Which may explain why when Am Yisrael leaves, A lot of people left with him. Who are these people? They're Mitzrim who are probably also sick of the Paro regime. So for that reason, the Mitzrim who are mostly good, according to this idea, you have to treat them nicely. The other idea Rabbi Sachs says is that you do not want to build a society on hatred. That you focus on the good of Egypt because if we were to, because leaving Egypt was like the foundation of Bnei Israel, right? We build so many of our mitzvot off of do not do this because you know what it's like in Egypt. So Mitzrayim represents like the memory of Am Israel that formed them into a nation. And if Am Israel were to be built off hatred of Egypt, that wouldn't be good. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that's not that's not uh, no that's not that's something else. Now, now, why, where do we see that building a society on hatred is not good for the society? Look at the Palestinians today. Palestinians today—they're trying to build a society. What is the thing that unites Palestinians and gives them meaning as a nation? Is that they hate Israel? That's the meaning. That's the core of their country. And look, Pishraftan, or are they they're, are they developed? No. So that, that shows you that whenever your, your country is founded on a place of hatred, it doesn't allow you to progress and build. So what Rabbi Sachs was saying, he didn't bring the Palestinian point, I, I brought that, but, but he's saying, that's what the Torah wants to avoid. Yes, there is room to hate Egypt, but if that becomes the foundation of our country, to hate another people is what makes us a nation, then, that won't, then we, that's gonna be a mental block for us in developing into a proper society. It's a very, very brilliant idea. Very deep idea. And that's why we cannot hate the Egyptian. Okay, we continue tomorrow with the laws of the camp in war. Baruch Adonai Lulam. Amen. Amen.